Well, good morning and welcome uh, to our worship service here at Great Hills Baptist Church, albeit it is a virtual worship service, but we just welcome you. So delighted that so many of you have tuned us in. My name is Danny Forshee. I'm the pastor here at Great Hills Baptist Church. I'm also the president of the Danny Forshee Evangelistic Association. So we have people from really all over the globe tuning us in and watching today, and we're just delighted to have you join in with us as we worship the Lord on the Lord's Day and so grateful for all the technology and the media and the ability uh, to be able to communicate the Word of God uh, to you today. Many of you are watching us on Facebook, and that is great. If you take just a moment, whether you're watching on your phone, on your tablet, and just push the Facebook share, and what that will do is that'll tell all your friends that you are joining in with us here at Great Hills Baptist Church, and that'll be, that'll be a great blessing. But we do welcome you. We're just so glad that you've tuned us in to be able to study God's Word uh, in this very crazy time in which we live. And these are crazy times, really unprecedented times. So many people are out of work, 3.8 million. I heard uh, just this morning that are out of work, and that number continues to, to grow, and it'll probably even grow by the time this, <laughs> this broadcast is over. So we're praying for people who are out of work. We're praying for people who are sick. We're praying for people who are in crisis and, and families that are just having such a hard time. So just know that we here at Great Hills, we love you. We're praying for you. And I think the best thing that I can do is just to take you to the Scriptures, to take you to the Bible and to preach this message that God has laid on my heart from Acts chapter 9. It is a passage of Scripture that just really accentuates the power of God, the miracles of God. And that's what we need. We need a fresh touch from God Almighty to touch our land, to touch our whole world and to give us cure, give us uh, peace and intervene. And I'm telling you, this God that we worship, the one true only God, he has that ability. He has that power to change lives, to give cures, to heal families, to heal economies. Our God is an awesome God. So I'm in Acts chapter nine and in a moment, I'll read this amazing passage of Scripture to you. But let me take just a moment and say thank you, Great Hills. You're such an amazing church, so faithful in your prayers, in your giving, and in your serving. And so we want to continue to ask you to support your local church, and, and we try to make it easy for you to go online and give. You've heard me share this with you, but let me say it to you again. You can go to ghbc.org give. Or you can text to give, uh, type of the words Great Hills to 45777. Or you can do it the old-fashioned way. You can write a check, put it in the mail, and the postal service will deliver it to us. You say, well, why do I need to do that? Well, because we're functioning as a church. We're still trying to meet needs, preach the gospel. And, and so as you give, we are able to reach our city and able to do things like this. We're able to broadcast the message of the gospel all over the world. And, and if you're watching on Facebook or maybe YouTube, you have a comment section. I would love for you just to tell us if you are outside the Austin, Texas area, just put in there where you are worshiping with us. Um, you may be in Germany, you may be in Hawaii or wherever you are, just let us know and that would be fantastic. Also, anytime during this sermon as I'm preaching the Bible, if you have a prayer request, we would love to hear from you. In fact, you can text the word prayer and here's the number, 512 uh, 3, 5, 3, 5, 3. Again, if you have a prayer request, 
type in the word prayer and you can text it to this number, 512-361-5353. Or if you just sense the Holy Spirit drawing you into a place of salvation, uh, we invite you to pray and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you do that, why don't you just take a minute and type in the, the word life, L-I-F-E. And as you type in the word life to that same number, 512-361-5353, then one of our pastors will read that and we will receive your prayer requests. We will receive the fact if you've typed the word life, that you have received Christ as your Savior and we will follow up with you. So we just wanted to offer that uh, to you. So God bless you. Thank you for tuning us in. I'm very excited. If you know me, you know that I get very, very excited about preaching the Bible. And so that's what I'm about to do today. One last thing before we get right into the text. In light of what is going on in our, in our world, this whole pandemic, this COVID-19 coronavirus, I've really felt led of the Lord to preach a, a special series of messages from the book of First Peter. First Peter deals with suffering it deals with people going through very difficult trials and tribulations and heartaches. And so uh, look for that series of messages. We're going to be posting it, making it available to anybody, everybody that wants to hear that message on First Peter. But for now, this Sunday morning, God bless you. Let's read the Word of God. Acts chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. And we're going to look at the power of God to change a life. The power of God to change lives. So let's read it. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And verse 2 says, And asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. Uh, the word letters there, interesting enough, is the word epistolos. It's where we get this English word epistle. So he asks for epistles or letters from him to the synagogues, the meeting places of Damascus so that if he were to find anybody who were of the way, and the word way there is a reference to uh, followers of Christ. In verse three, whether men or women, he, uh, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him uh, from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, as he trembled and he was astonished, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord said to him, arise, Saul, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him, they stood speechless hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And verse 9 says, And he was there three days without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. So what I just read for you was the conversion, the testimony of Saul of Tarsus, who became the great apostle Paul. And what an amazing text. What a, what a blessed opportunity to go deep into God's word and to brag on the awesome power of God. Because here's the thing, if God can save a man like that and change his heart and make him go from being a persecutor to a pioneer, from being a murderer to a, to a missionary, if God can do that, God can do anything. 
He can heal any sickness. He can change any economy. God can change anybody's life. I'm telling you, our God is an awesome God. And so we get the privilege today of focusing on his word. And as we accentuate the word of God, I'm praying that our problems and our fears and our worries and our anxieties over all this coronavirus would just fall at the feet of Jesus. It would just subside as we get our minds on the Lord. Come on now, let's do this. Let's get our focus and our gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as I share this message with you, the first thing I want you to notice with me is this. We're gonna look at Paul's preoccupation. That's what I call it. The Apostle Paul is totally enamored and preoccupied with being a Pharisee, being somebody who is going to go out and persecute the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is his preoccupation, if you will. That is, that is his uh, passion. Verse one, after the interlude of Philip's life and his ministry in Samaria, uh, he is, uh, you know, we've looked at Philip and we've looked at his amazing ministry in Samaria and on the road to Gaza. And so, but at this point, the good Dr. Luke, he transitions out of the life of the revival, if you will, and the life of Philip in uh, Samaria and on the road uh, to, to talking to the, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. All of a sudden, there's a change. And it says in verse one, then Saul. So he's going to reintroduce this man, Saul, that we met earlier in chapter seven. Now, Saul is uh, the young man in Acts 7, 58. You remember that? There was a young man working for the Sanhedrin, very zealous, very eager for the law, the law of God. He says, I am a Jew of all Jews. I was trained under Gamaliel. I am a Pharisee and I'm very zealous for God. And I am, he thought, Saul thought, he had been commissioned by God to actually go to Damascus and arrest and bring people back to Jerusalem so they could be tried for spiritual or religious treason. His passion in life is to threaten and to murder disciples of Jesus. Now, what he does is he takes the initiative. He goes to the high priest. Did you see that? In verses one and two, as he goes to the high priest, probably Caiaphas, who was the high priest from A.D. 18 to 35, and he asked for the epistolos. He asked for the letters or really the authority. He's looking for affirmation and authority, something he can hold in his hand, go into Damascus, break into people's homes as they are worshiping, break into synagogues as people are meeting and say, look, I have the authority. He's very arrogant, by the way, very proud. I have the authority to arrest you and bring you back to Jerusalem. So Rome granted this authority to the high priest in Jerusalem, this power of extradition, okay? So they could extradite. They could go out of Jerusalem, go into other territories in Israel. And by the way, Damascus is not too far from about 100 miles or so from Jerusalem. And so here's Saul. He is so eager and he's possessed. I call it his preoccupation. His passion is to find believers, Christians, the way and to bring them back to Jerusalem. You know, the Bible says in Philippians chapter three, verses five and six, 
as Paul talks about his life, who he was. He said, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, Paul said, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Do you see that in Philippians 3, 6? Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. That's precisely what he's doing here in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I was, and he uses this word, I was blameless. You know, I have found that some of the most dangerous people in the world are religious people thinking that they are doing God a favor by exterminating and killing you. Have you ever noticed that? Paul was one of those people. Before he became the great apostle Paul, he was this zealous, preoccupied, infatuated, enamored, religious zealot who's going to persecute and kill anybody that he saw as a threat to Judaism. And so that's why he is on his way uh, to Damascus. One writer puts it like this about Saul's passion. He says, to contain the spread of what he considered to be a pernicious and deadly contagion within Israel. I thought about that word, contagion, this disease. So think about it like this. Think about today scientists and doctors who are working around the clock. I'm talking globally, all over the world, from China to Japan to America to South America. I mean, scientists and doctors all over the world, I mean, they are working with around-the-clock passion. They are trying their best to discover a cure for this pernicious contagion, this thing that we're calling a coronavirus or COVID-19 that started in China and now is spread all over the world. The same passion that those scientists and doctors right now who are trying to discover a cure, that's the passion that Saul had trying to exterminate Christians. Do you see it? I mean, he is, he is possessed. He is so determined to please God by killing other people. And I just got to stop right there and say, think about that. God saves this man. God changes the heart of this zealot. And as I said earlier, I want to say it again. If God can do this, God can do anything. God spoke and the world was created. God saves and changes a man like Saul. God raises his son Jesus from the dead. I'm telling you, our God is an awesome God. He can do anything and everything. So there is no problem that's too big for God. I'm talking about any virus. I'm talking about any marital discord. I'm talking about any economic downturn, recession, or any other problem. Our God is big enough to handle it. We just have to trust him. And so what I want to do is I'm preaching this message is I want to see your faith built up on the solid bedrock foundation of Jesus Christ and to have your knowledge of the word of God increased and augmented, but to have your passion and your zeal equally augmented and increased. And I think that only comes through the dedicated, serious study of the word of God. And so what a blessing it is as we're preaching through the book of Acts. Acts chapter nine, one and two talks about the preoccupation of Saul. Next, I want you to look at the confrontation. There is a violent confrontation that is about to happen in verses three through five. Saul, 
He's close to Damascus. He sees a bright light. In Acts chapter 22, verse 6, he, he describes this light as, as great, and it happens at about noonday, noontime. You know, oftentimes light is associated with God's presence. And Saul equated this light with God's presence. And, and he, one person said he, he believes now that this light is the blazing glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, who are you? And then Jesus identifies himself as, uh, I am Jesus, Saul, <laughs> whom you are uh, persecuting. It's ironic to me that the last person to see Jesus recorded in the Bible in Acts chapter 7 was Stephen. When he sees Christ, as he's about to die and be martyred, he goes into the presence of God. And then the next person to see Jesus is this guy. I mean, I'm telling you, God is amazing. God is a revealing God. He reveals himself to Saul. 1 Corinthians 15, 8 and 9 says this. And Saul gives this as his testimony. Then last of all, Jesus was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. And then he says this famous word, verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles who am, I am not even worthy to be called an apostle because, here it is, I persecuted the church of God. That's Paul's testimony. He said, I, before I became a Christian, before I became a follower of Christ, I persecuted the church of God. Now, those traveling with Saul, they heard a voice, but they did not understand, nor did they see <clears throat> the risen Christ. But Saul does. And Jesus singles him out, reveals himself to him, confronts him. I mean, I call this a violent confrontation. You know, for some people, that's what it takes. It takes something, you know, like a, a tragedy or a difficulty or a revelation. And by the way, God still does these things. I want to share a story with you in a moment that sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul's testimony. So verse 4, Jesus repeats his name twice. He says, Saul, Saul. Why does he do that? I think he does it for emphasis sake, to let Saul just take this all in as he's going to Damascus to kill people who follow Jesus because, you see, Saul did not believe in Jesus. He didn't believe Jesus was alive. He believed that he was a fraud, a fake, who had died and he was buried and there was all this rumor about him being resurrected, but that was all false in his mind until he saw him. He saw Christ, the risen Christ. And this is the beginning of the end of Saul of Tarsus. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, and is this not absolutely true of Saul? There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So in this confrontation with Jesus Christ, Saul would, he would experience a lot of things. Number one, he would experience the rebuke of God instead of the favor of God. Number two, he would come face to face with the resurrected Jesus whom the early church proclaimed that he was alive. Next, Saul would realize, as one puts it, an organic and indissoluble unity between Jesus and his church. So when Jesus says, Saul, you are persecuting me, what he is saying that every time you arrest and mistreat one of my people, I take it personally, you're doing that unto me. And next, Saul, in this confrontation, 
he now has a mission to carry out. He can no longer <laughs> persecute the way. He now becomes a follower in the way, of the way. Verse five is an interesting text, isn't it? When, he, when Jesus in this confrontation, in this dialogue now with Saul, he tells him, it is impossible for you to kick against the goads. Now, a goad was a sharp instrument that people who are working with livestock, whether sheep or cattle or whatever, and they would goad them, oxen especially, and they would prod them and goad them to go forward or to do what they're wanting them to do. And so for an ox or a cow or a sheep to kick against that sharp instrument, that is not smart. (laughs) In fact, they probably not gonna do that but one time because the goad is there to prompt them not to be kicked by them. And so Jesus is using a, a common idiom, a common vernacular when he says, Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the goat. It's hard for you. Now that you've seen me, how can you reject me? You, you can't because you see me that I am alive and I am resurrected. I mentioned earlier, there's a man that I've been fascinated with, his salvation, his testimony in the last century. His name was Suntar Singh. He lived in India. In fact, his dad was part of the Sikh religion. He lived in a place called Patalia, India, aristocratic family, wealthy family. He embraced the Sikh religion called Sikhism, much like his family did. And yet at one time he was evangelized by some American Presbyterian missionaries. And at first he listened to them, but then his heart just turned real bitter and angry and he outright rejected Christ, rejected Christianity, all the teachings of the Bible. And then he began to persecute and mock those very missionaries who had come to share the gospel with him. So at age 15, December the 18th, 1904, this young, bright teenager said, I'm going to take my life. He said, I'm going to kill myself. So he went out. Well, first he said, I took a bath. I took a very cold bath. I was very alert and awake. And he said his intention was to go to the train tracks near his house and to end his life. But then he said, you know, I'm going to call out to, I'm going to, call out to this God that I say that I don't believe in because he realized the severity of the moment. He realized if something doesn't happen real soon, he said he was about to go and commit suicide. So he said, he said, he just calls out. He says, God, are you there? And he said, all of a sudden there was a light. This brilliant, radiant light appeared to him. And he said, this was not a dream or a vision. He said, because I just took a cold bath and I was very much awake. And he heard this voice in perfect Hindustani, say these words, why do you persecute me? Remember, I gave my life for you upon the cross. Singh says he then fell down at his feet. And in his own words, he said, I got this wonderful peace, which I could not get anywhere else. This was the joy that I was wishing to get. Although the vision disappeared, the peace and the joy have remained with me ever since. So what happens here is he has an encounter with Christ. He has a confrontation. He is changed by the power of God. And he goes from being a very rebellious teenager, someone who hates Jesus and hates the church, he goes immediately to becoming a great evangelist for God, for Christ. He says, later on, he writes about his encounter. He says, what I saw was no imagination of my own. 
Up until that moment, I hated Jesus Christ and I did not worship him. And it was no dream. I just had a cold bath. And, 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 and he said, it was real. I saw the living Christ. So Singh's father persecuted him. In fact, tried to poison him and kill him, but he survived and he went on for the remainder of his life as a traveling preacher, talking to as many people as he can. And someone, very interestingly, has traced the influence of Sundar Singh to the conversion of the great apologist C.S. Lewis. Isn't that cool? Isn't that amazing how God works? God is the awesome God, the miracle-working God. And as I said earlier, let me say it again. God has never met his match. He never will meet his match. He is, he is reigning. He's in heaven. He's not wringing his hands. He's not going, oh, no, what am I going to do about this virus on the earth? No, God is in control. And in his time and in his omnipotent way, he will come through and he will do what only he can do. So, so far in our text, we have looked at this preoccupation of Paul, the Saul of Tarsus who is so enamored with killing Christians. He has a violent confrontation with Jesus Christ. Jesus appears to him, rebukes him and says, look, I'm the very person that you hate. I'm the very person that you says does not exist. It's hard for you to kick against the goad, Saul. It's hard for you to resist me because now you know the truth. So let's talk about his salvation. This is the third and final thing I want to talk to you about in this message about the dynamic power of God to change a life. In verse 6, Saul is trembling before the Lord. The Greek word there is tremon, and it's where we get the English word to tremor. And so he addressed Jesus and the question, he, and the question uh, that, that he asked. And there's some debate here, by the way, about Saul's conversion. When did Saul become a follower of Christ? Some believe it was later on. It was after this moment that he later became a Christian, maybe even in Ananias' home. But I believe it was here. I believe it was here when Jesus addressed him and said, you know, why are you persecuting me? I think in this moment that Saul, he realizes his lostness and he receives Christ uh, as his Savior. Jesus gives him two commands, and these two commands will characterize the remainder of Saul's life. Number one, he says, arise and go. And, he, and Paul, by the way, will be doing this the remainder of his life. He will arise, and he will constantly go for missionary journeys. He will blaze a trail for the gospel. And then Jesus tells him this very interestingly. He says, and you will be told. Arise and go, and I will show you later on what you must do. And so Saul realizes that he enters into the Christian life by faith, and that's the way he has to live the Christian life, and that is by faith, and it's the same for you and me. We come to faith in Christ. God saves our souls. We repent of our sins, and God gives us a commission. God gives us a mandate. We become his people. We become his missionaries, and we go forward, and we share the gospel with people. Oh, my word, I'm finding people so incredibly responsive to Christ during this pandemic. I can't tell you how many times I, you go up and talk to people and, and I know I'm, I'm still going out, getting my garbage can and bringing it in, or I'm going out to go run, uh, you know, at the Brushy Creek Park. And I, you can't help but just see people. I kind of keep my distance, you know, my six feet or whatever. But it's amazing how often I'm seeing people just so receptive to talk about spiritual things. Why people are hurting. 
I mean, people are hurting. People are fearful. People are worried. What is going to happen to me? What is going to happen to my job? How am I going to provide for my family? Guys, this is real. And here's where we come in with hope, with good news. We could tell people, look, I don't know when this is going to be over. I'm just like you. I have my own fears and concerns, but I also have this peace. I have the supernatural peace of God. And at that moment, when you tell people the reason for your peace, they are incredibly interested because people are very, very open. So in our text, verse 7, as we're wrapping up, those traveling with Saul, they were speechless. Um, they, they, could not, uh, they could not understand what is, what is going on. They just know Saul is in a moment, and there's a bright light, and, and something is going on, something is happening in Saul's life. Verse 8 says, Saul arose from the ground. He had fallen on his face before the very one he had so persecuted, and now he, he raises up to this radiant light, this person, Jesus, whom he said did not exist, but very much exist. You know, somebody aptly put it this way about Saul's conversion, his salvation. He says, God crushed Saul. God crushed him. I mean, think about it. In a moment, all that he believed was gone. All this radical Pharisaism, all of this, no, Jesus doesn't exist. I'm going to arrest you. I'm going to kill you. I'm doing God a favor. All of that is obliterated. And Saul is a broken man. He has, he has no more of this arrogance and this pride and this resiliency to go and do his, the, the bidding of the Pharisees. No, he's been radically changed. I like to put it like this. He enters the city of Damascus or almost as a man full of himself, full of pride, full of arrogance, full of vengeance, full of Phariseeism, full of much authority. But now, okay, now, after this encounter with the risen Christ, he enters into Damascus humble and broken and changed. He's blind physically, but he sees spiritually for the very first time. He's no longer the great persecutor of the faith, but now... He becomes its great promoter and pioneer for the faith. He's no longer a murderer, but now he's a missionary. He's no longer full of haughtiness and arrogance, but now he is full of humility. He's full of Christ. F.F. Bruce puts it this way. Nearly all of the distinctive insights in Paul's life, think about this, for the remainder of Paul's life, all the distinctive insights that he gains into the person of Christ and the work of Christ, in F.F. F. Bruce's words, can be traced back to the outworking of that event in his life, his testimony that so radically changed his life and his thought. One more verse I'll share with you, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, really, if you want to read the whole verse in its context, all the verses talks about Saul's conversion but Paul says this in verses 13 and 14. He says, although I was formerly, <laughs> I love that word. That's what I was. But praise God by God's grace, that is not who I am today. He said, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor. I was an insolent man. Do you know what that word insolent means? I looked it up. It means to be violently arrogant. He said, I was an arrogant man full of pride, full of the poison of arrogance. 
but praise God, I obtained mercy. Woo, thank you, Lord, for mercy. The mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace, the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. What a story. What a testimony. Hey, that may be you today. You may have thought in the past you would never darken the door of a church and you're being true to your word. You have not darkened the door of a physical building, a church, but in God's sovereignty, I mean, in the beautiful drama that God has unfolded in the theater of your life, he has me speaking to you in your home, in your chair, maybe out by your pool or wherever you may be, and God is bringing to you the gospel. I am preaching to you that you who are violently arrogant or you who have persecuted Christ and his church, you who have been just immersed in the immorality and in sin, knowing that's not the life that God really has for you. And I'm talking to you right here, right now. And God is reaching out to you saying, I want you. I want you to receive my son, Jesus, as your savior, be born again by the spirit of God. And what you must do, you must believe. You must repent of your sins, say, whoo, done with that, God, forgive me of that. I'm embracing you as my savior. I remember witnessing to a one man in another city and I was inviting him to church and he said, oh man, he said, I, I can't come to your church. He had long flowing hair. He owned his own construction. I think it was a roofing company. And he said, preacher, let me tell you something. <laughs> He said, if I were to come to your church, the roof would cave in. That's what would happen. And what he was saying was, I'm a sinful man. And if I were to come to your church, God would strike the building and the roof would cave in. I said, let me tell you something, friend. That is absolutely not the case. If God, and I told him these words, if God can save a murderer, don't you think he can save you? There's nothing you can do that would get you outside of the long reach of the arm of the grace of God. I'm inviting you today, right now, to give your life to Christ. I mean, it's no coincidence. God is working. God is working powerfully in this world. And God has given you an opportunity to slow down and to consider the things of God. I mean, most of the idols have been put away, right? Sports and recreation and bars and theaters and drama and all those things, they have just kind of pushed to the, to the background. And in the foreground is you and your life and your spiritual life. So I invite you to give your life to the Lord right now. Let me, let me pray with you about that. Can I do that? Can I pray as you receive the Lord as your Savior? And also I want to pray for those that and you're struggling. I mean, you're hurting and you're worried and you're fearful. And I'm just praying that God uses this message to help you focus on his power, his omnipotence, that if he can do what we talked about today, he can do anything. So I want to do this. I want to pray. Would you bow with me and just close your eyes and uh, bow your head with me? First of all, if you're listening and you say, I'm ready to give my life to Christ, then I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, dear God in heaven, I know <laughs> I am a sinner and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Today, by faith, I'm trusting Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. You can just tell him. Just tell him in prayer what I just said. Just say, by faith, 
I'm trusting Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. God, I come just as I am. Forgive me and change my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Now, if you prayed that prayer, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take just a moment and just text that word prayer, or excuse me, the word life. Text the word life in that number that we gave you earlier, that 512 number. I think it's 361-5353 or somewhere around there. That's the number. Text it. Let us know. When you text the word life, what you're saying is I've given my life to Christ. And we want to follow up with you. We want to encourage you and disciple you in your relationship with the Lord. And Lord, I want to pray also for those that are struggling and hurting and and they're worried and they're fearful. God, I pray for them. The peace of God that passes all understanding, the power of God, the provision of God. God, I'm asking you to just break through this barrier of fear and worry and just bring your supernatural peace, oh God, to the man, to the woman, to the student, to the boy, to the girl, whoever they may be, God rich or poor, young or old, Lord, whoever they are, that God, you would just show yourself strong on their behalf and minister to them, God, give them that supernatural peace and grace. I'm praying this and I believe this in Jesus' name, amen.